a lost colony from a lost episode. Today we dig deep into the archives for a very special episode of The Barstool Historian. From New York, New York, and Geneva, Illinois, it's the Barstool Historian Podcast, broadcasting from the Lion's Arms Tavern, our digital tap room, where the past is our playground. This is John, sitting in on the New York end of the bar, all by my lonesome. Tim and Ed are not actually with me today. We just had some scheduling conflicts that made it uh, impossible to record a brand new episode for... uh, uh, the third installment of what we've been calling at the Barstool Historian Coronathon, where we're really eager to get new content out to you all um, while you're all in lockdown. Hopefully we can do something to divert you from all of the really uh, depressing and sad and scary news. So uh, we actually decided to dip into uh, content from a much rosier time. That would be October 2015. This is a segment that Ed prepared in response to what was then recent news about some archaeological discoveries related to the lost Roanoke colony, the colony that was attempted uh, and disappeared for mysterious reasons before the founding of Jamestown. But I feel that doing this all by myself just just doesn't seem right. So I decided to take a cue from Lucasfilm, the uh, the technical geniuses who were able to uh, give you the last Star Wars movie using footage of the late Carrie Fisher and and even digitally created uh, Peter Cushing for, for Rogue One. I decided, you know, I have some really impressive technology here. Uh, I used the same technology that, that brought us the technological marvel that is our beloved Blamometer. Uh, and I have used uh, digital samples, uh, random s- phrases from, from Ed and Tim uh, over the years to create Robo-Ed and Robo-Tim, um, two, two Android versions of my co-hosts. And I think, I have to say, I think it's pretty seamless. I think I've pulled it off pretty well. Hang on a second. Let me, let me just uh, power up robo uh ed here for a second hold on hello gentlemen there we go yeah it's amazing i mean it just it just sounds like the real thing robo ed are you doing well yes (laughs) okay good and are you dealing with uh lockdown okay yes okay good good all right well let me introduce over here on the new york end of the bar robo tim hello robo tim hello gentlemen Okay, that's a little off. I think I need to just adjust the pitch a little bit here. Hello, gentlemen. Yeah, I think I went too far. Here we go. Let's just make a little tweak here. Hello, gentlemen. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, you know, totally seamless. You, you wouldn't know if, if, if I hadn't told you that this wasn't the real Tim. You would believe that the real Tim was with me right now. Robo Tim, how are you holding up right now? You doing well? <laughs> All right. Yes. All right. Good. Good. Glad to hear it. You see, totally seamless. It's amazing. 
You know, the other really cool thing about Robo Tim is that um, I, he has different plugins that we can use to just change his persona. So I've got the MacArthur plugin. Let me just turn that on. Old soldiers never die. They just yeah, fade away. Pretty remarkable. Uh, I've got, uh, what's this one? Oh, the Telly Savalas plugin. This one is, this one's pretty cool. Who loves you, baby? Uh, this one, this one is experimental. I haven't tried this one out. This is the Shakespeare plugin. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in. Yeah, this one seems to, this one seems to go on for a while. Let me just, just try to stop this one. Come on. And all I get Stop. today is lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, Come on. Out, breathe, Ugh. candle. All right, that seemed to have fixed it. Um, like I said, the content you're going to hear is from October 2015. This is from a session where everything that could go wrong technically went wrong. There were problems with my microphone and Tim's microphone and the Skype recording that we were using to talk to Ed, it was, just, it was just a mess. And so the whole session, which was a long one, we tried to record two whole episodes in one night. Maybe that was a mistake from the start. The whole session is in various bits and pieces. So I've taken what I could from that session, this uh, bit about the Roanoke Lost Colony. And what I'm going to try to do here is actually reassemble it so that it sounds uh, like it was all recorded perfectly. And I've even uh, made some tweaks so that uh, our dialogue actually reflects what we would have been talking about in October 2015. So once again, this is a pretty seamless effect. And if I wasn't telling you all about what's going on behind the curtain, I don't think that you would really know that this wasn't a complete, perfectly recorded episode. From that time. So let's replay the intro music and here we go. From New York, New York, and Geneva, Illinois, the Sodom and Gomorrah of modern times, the sister cities of sin, it's the Barstool Historian Podcast, broadcasting from the Lion's Arms Tavern, where the past is our playground. I'm John, and sitting with me on the New York end of the bar, as always, is Tim. Hello, Tim. Hello, gentlemen. Sounding very healthy today, Tim. And over there on the Geneva, Illinois end of the bar is Ed. Hello, Ed. Hello, gentlemen. Well, it is, of course, as you all know, October 2015. Yes. This is a particularly beautiful fall. Yes. Foliage is great in lower New York State. Yes. Uh, There is a new Star Wars movie coming out in a couple of months that we're all very excited about. Yes. Uh, this also, if you guys can believe this, uh, a new musical coming out on Broadway. And get this, it's a, it's a hip-hop musical about, of all people, Alexander Hamilton. I mean... <laughs> that Hamilton, that'll never last. Yeah, I know, I know. 
And uh, boy, we're also just starting to get excited about next year's election. Um, I mean, there's even talk that, I mean, as if the world can't get any weirder, that Donald Trump, yes, that Donald Trump is going to run for president. <laughs> Can you imagine a clown like Trump actually getting elected? No. That's as likely as a Cubs winning the World Series. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you got that right. Well, fellas, although it would be no technical challenge for me whatsoever to do our normal what we're drinking segment, I thought we would just save some time and just dive into the the substance of this episode, and that is the lost colony of Roanoke, the English colony that was established in what is now North Carolina in the late 1500s and disappeared under mysterious circumstances. And to tell us about that is Ed. Take it away, Ed. Well, for you not in the know, the Roanoke colony was uh, the first relatively successful English colony in the New World. Uh, There were actually a couple um, previous attempts um, at colonization, one in Canada, which uh, led to the drowning of uh, the leader of that expedition. Um, His follow-up was to be uh, a colony in the uh, Virginia, Carolina area. So his, I believe, brother-in-law, who happened to be named uh, Sir Walter Raleigh, uh, decided to take over his claim. In order to uh, keep this claim on this land, he had to set up a colony. And this is around 1584, 1585. So he sent out an expedition with about 100 people and they originally were uh, looking at, and by this time, you know, the, the East Coast is fairly well mapped, especially the big waterways. And uh, most thought the most successful place for an uh, English colony would be in uh, the Chesapeake Bay, which would offer some shelter and also offer kind of a hiding space from the Spanish, who they were concerned would quash any colony. They actually ended up in the Albemarle Bay in North Carolina, where there is a small island called Roanoke Island. Anyway, they set up this colony, and (laughs) at first it kind of failed. It was a man named uh, Richard Grenville. Kind of sailed away, promising to come back with provisions. The, The remaining 100 colonists kind of got tired of, of waiting and didn't think they'd, you know, ever see these guys again. And then who by chance should come upon them but Sir Francis Drake on his way back from you know, capturing Spanish ships in the Caribbean just decided to stop and, you know, say, hey, they basically said, get us the hell out of here. So he's like, yeah, OK, sure. Jump on board uh, back to England. They only left a couple, I think half a dozen people there in their little fort. And two months later, the uh, relief expedition came and there was no one there. They left a couple more people there and then went back, um, basically just to hold Walter Raleigh's claim. A year later, 
one of Raleigh's friends, a man named John White, decided to make a real go of it. The previous go was kind of, it was just a bunch of dudes, soldiers, John White, decided to take, you know, colonists that decided we're going to stay, and, and some women, including his own family, his, his daughter and his son-in-law, and, uh, and made it to Roanoke. And of course, yet again, when they showed up, they didn't find, again, any any of these few people that left behind except a skeleton that just was lying on the ground, so it probably didn't go well <laughs> for them. So they, they set up the colony, and the first European baby born in the New World was born there, uh, a child named Virginia Dare, who was the granddaughter of John White. And uh, if you go to the Outer Banks uh, or Roanoke, uh, they are part of Dare County, named after Virginia Dare. So, after a while, after a, you know, a little uh, about a half a year, White said, "Okay, well, this is going great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pop back to England, and I'm gonna bring more supplies and uh, more settlers." And then everything went to crap. He got back to England. He wanted to turn right around, and he couldn't find anyone to go right back because it was winter and then the damn Spanish Armada showed up in the next year 1588 so he couldn't get anyone to go back with him until uh, 1590 he finally went back in 1590 which is about a little less than three years after he left and famously there was nothing there there were no houses no bodies, no walls everything that they'd built was gone, except the mysterious word Croatoan, carved in a fence post. There was another C-R-O carved in a tree. Well, he had told them upon leaving, if they had to leave to, you know, carve in something, you know, around that area, you know, some sort of sign or word where they were going. And furthermore, if they were leaving under dis- dis- distress to carve a Maltese cross in one of the trees. He did not find a Maltese cross, and the fact that there were not burned-down buildings, there were obviously disassembled buildings, meant it was pretty obvious that the colony had left in a more or le- less orderly fashion. Now, you know, if you, you, you've probably heard this much. Well, where did they go? Where's Croatoan? Well, Croatoan is actually a tribe of Indians. Also, it was the, the name of an island, Hatteras Island, which in the Outer Banks is the southern, farthest eastmost island containing uh, Cape Hatteras, just a long, spidery island. But at that point, you were literally about 30, 40 miles into the Atlantic east of uh, the rest of the North Carolina coast. Uh, White had to leave immediately because a uh, extremely large storm was brewing, probably a hurricane, and from the south, and the, uh, the, the crew and uh, ships he brought with him wanted just to get the hell out of there. So he uh, couldn't actually look for him. But the other guy who had a stake in this was Walter Raleigh. And he did send an expedition back 12 years later uh, to actually look to see what happened uh, in 1602. So, but he sent this expedition 
and uh, he basically, you know, it was supposed to be, we're going to scour the area for the, these guys. But he just couldn't help himself as, I, I guess, a, a 16th century, 17th century Englishman. Like, let's make some money on this this <laughs> thing. Too. So I want you to just start, um, you know, collecting aromatic woods and sassafras and crap, whatever, from all the islands. So hilariously, <laughs> they started doing this. And I guess they got carried away because they um, an, another big storm came up and they had to abandon their uh, their search before they even started searching for the colonists. But I one can only assume they got plenty of aromatic wood out of the deal. That's it in 1602. The next uh, break in the Roanoke colony's fate was in uh, um, six about 1609 when John Smith. Went, met with the Powhatan uh, tribe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Pocahontas's tribe. Yeah. And it was reported that the um, chief Powhatan, a guy named Wahansunakak, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> We're going to have to bleep, bleep part of that out. Yeah. <laughs> Pro- probably, probably mispronounce that. Uh, said he actually, oh, he knew and knows exactly what happened to him because um, he, he killed a lot of them. And this was corroborated by another Jamestown report at around that time. And most interestingly, a map by a, a Jamestown resident uh, that w- found its way into the hands of the Spanish. And Spanish intelligence sent it back to Madrid and was found hundreds of years later in the Spanish archives. Uh, a map basically saying there was a massacre here of the people from Roanoke and here remaineth, remaineth four men clothed that came from Roanoke to Ogamanahan. So it all kind of sounds like a great deal of the colonists actually made it um, kind of integrated with the Indians and were able to a lot of them live with the Indians and uh, Powhatan, he killed them all. It should be pointed out that it did not, I believe, ever come directly from uh, John Smith. He did not write it anywhere it was reported but but by a couple people that Smith had said uh, Powhatan had told him this there was of course reports um, for uh, about a you know hundred years later of settlers in uh, the North Carolina Albemarle sound of Indians with blue eyes Indians with brown hair so you know it's not entirely out of the uh, out of question that these settlers, a lot of them were able to integrate into uh, the tribe. There was a report from a, you know, report from uh, someone that uh, said a, another Indian had seen four men and two boys, uh, English boys, that uh, had escaped to an uh, interior North Carolina tribe and were, um, you know, they kind of made them, you know, um, metallurgists beating um, copper and and, and, and whatnot for them. The large point is, no definitive proof uh, ever occurred, ever has been um, discovered what happened to the Roanoke colony. Uh, and a lot of good reasons for this. Uh, Jamestown was only settled about 20 years after Roanoke disappeared. And it took the Jamestown colony a good 50 years to really become well-established and start to push beyond a narrow 
peninsula peninsular area in the Chesapeake. Uh, there were, you know, there was some scouting and reconnaissance, um, you know, around Virginia, maybe a little into North Carolina, but no real, you know, concerted effort uh, to look in any of those areas. And North Carolina itself really wasn't settled uh, permanently until the 1680s, 1670s. Even at the time of Blackbeard, which we're talking about 1700, 1710. North Carolina was a total backwater. Their capital was, you know, a bunch of, you know, about 300 people in basically log cabins on the Arbomoral Sound. So you really have a hundred year gap between uh, when the colonists disappeared and either would act a time where enough people would be around to actually uh, make a plausible search for them. So that's where it left until very recently. And um, what a, a huge break in the case was the discovery of a map of the area drawn by a man who was an artist and a friend of uh, Walter Raleigh. And I'm talking about the same guy. I'm talking about John White. John White had dr drawn a detailed map of the area. And uh, it's actually, it's actually a, a, a pretty beautiful map. And it would it just went into the British archives sometime in the uh, 19th century and just sat there for, you know, a century until someone rediscovered it earlier this century. And so, oh, that's pretty crazy. It's a really nice map. Uh, about 2012, a couple uh, dedicated researchers found it from the First Colony Foundation, which is dedicated to researching the Roanoke Colony and noticed something really strange. There was a patch on it. Well, I, I guess there's a lot of reasons for a patch. Uh, there could have been a hole or for whatever. Well, so they, they got curious though. So they kind of x-rayed it and uh, wasn't covering up a hole. It was covering up a fort and it was covering up a fort in far west Arbemarle Sound. And they did more research and we just assume you know, White went back, had no idea where they were, and, and went home. Mm -hmm. Again, that's not the case. He didn't go home because he didn't have any idea where they were. He went home because they, his base crew forced him to go home. More research turns out that the, the colonists were not feeling super secure in Roanoke due to the Indians in the area and due to the Spanish and fears of the Spanish finding them there. So they, and with good reason, actually, and this is pretty crazy, the Spanish actually found the Roanoke colony in about uh, the remains of it in about uh, 1592 in Roanoke, uh, the same place that was basically abandoned. Uh, but they figured it was just an outlying, you know, reconnaissance fort for a much bigger English colony somewhere in, in the Chesapeake Bay. So they're right to be, be worried about it. But there was talk about moving to Hatteras Island. There was talk about moving further into the sound. And this fort, it's pretty easy to pinpoint because it's a good map of where this fort would have been. So in uh, about August, they announced that they had been doing uh, excavations in this area uh, on boarding Arbemarle Sound. And it turns out that they found a bunch of European uh, artifacts, which uh, 
at first, you know, glance, well, of course, I mean, there were European settlers there. These ones are special. There was a lot of what is called border wear, um, named from the Surrey Ham- Hampshire border. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it was brought into Jamestown, but not after 1616, any of it. After the, the Virginia Company was dissolved, but a lot of it was brought to Roanoke and to Jamestown. But, so you have to kind of do the, the, what the odds are. What are the odds that Jamestown, which in 1616 was still barely surviving, yeah. would have somehow um, moved uh, a good amount of clay pottery down 100 miles south? Or what are the odds that someone later would have you know, got a bunch of this very specific pottery and moved it down south? Um, to what is now Mary Hill, uh, North Carolina. It's very unlikely. So while you can't make any definitive conclusions, uh, it is the, the evidence is looking extremely strong that at least a portion of the colonists of Roanoke survived by, at some point, moving farther west into the Arbemarle Sound, into North Carolina. And, you know, it, it's so far in, I mean, it's the very end of Arbemarle Sound, so we are talking about 40 miles west of Roanoke Island. It's a place that they could have lived for, honestly, 40 or 50 years easily and never had a another European come across them. Hmm. Probably didn't happen. But it's possible. Uh, they like haven't paradise. Found... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, so far, uh, they have not found any you know buildings or anything like that. They, but they found a lot of European ware. So the scientists, sorry, archaeologists, are positing that maybe they did get integrated with one or more Indian tribes eventually, and maybe they did move to a place where they intended to build a fort but didn't ever build a fort. Maybe they just kind of lived like the Indians there for, for a certain amount of time. As this borderware that they brought with them broke, they tossed it um, and started using uh, Indian utensils and whatnot. It's impossible to know, but until, you know, 10 years ago, we would have thought getting this much knowledge about where they went would, would have been very difficult. There's there's been evidence of the same kind of uh, borderware in Hatteras Island too, um, just not as much in one location. So it's very possible that they actually went to where they said they were going to Croatoan Island. If you've been to Hatteras Island, it's 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 pretty bleak compared to Roanoke. They might have well thought after staying there a little bit, this was a mistake. Let's go to the other place we we're looking. So. Who knows? That that all might have happened, but it, it is probably the biggest break in 400 years in the search for the uh, Roanoke colonists, and they've only just begun excavating uh, this site. So I'm, you know, hopeful in the next you know, decade or so we might get a big break, like we did in you know the the Jamestown excavation where they found the the whole or most of the the original fort. Uh, years after people thought it had eroded into the sea and the actual site was lost forever. And it turns out that site 
turned up graves, a ton of a ton of priceless archaeological treasures. So we'll be, you know, uh, the uh, correspondents at the Barstool Historian will be keeping an eagle's eye <laughs> on developments in this in this this story. You know, uh, from from an evidentiary standpoint, the interesting thing about the discovery is that the totality of the facts really disprove some of the uh, less tenable theories. There were five, I think, there were five theories or something like that, a handful. One was something about a hurricane wiping them out, but there, the, the, the fences were still in place and, and that would have been destroyed. But uh, the, 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 most, the two most probable, from what I have read, Ed, and correct me if I'm wrong, was one was the relocation and the other was being uh, killed by the Indians. Um, and both of those seem to hold equal weight until now because um, previously the Hatteras discovery had already been on the books, I think, from the 1930s. But this Albemarle uh, discovery, taken together with the Hatteras discovery, tends to, uh, you know, weigh in the direction of, um, you know, relocation. And then if you take a step back from the evidence and you just think about what's practical, which I think often uh, historians lack that... uh, human element of just what makes sense. Yeah. Um, there was no food. Um, it was pretty paltry uh, at that settlement. So if you were there, wouldn't you think, I think we better uh, try somewhere else. I mean, it seems practical uh, that people would get up and move and not repeat the same insane uh, mistakes, right? This evidence does not prove or disprove that the colonists stuck together at all. I mean, they could have had arguments among themselves where, you know, they, it's, it's very possible that, say, 20 of them decided, hey, we're going to go with the Indians, um, the Indian tribe, and lived successfully into old age and had kids and everything, and the rest of them were massacred. You know, the people that survived could have been a lot of stuff. It's in colonial records, for example, which would, would tend to... Uh, corroborate the the Western Albemarle thing that, uh, and this is right from uh, Wikipedia, that in 1689, uh, we're talking at this point, more than 100 years after Roanoke, Huguenot settlers on the Tar River, which is kind of uh, uh, right off the Pamlico Sound, which is the sound just south of Albemarle Sound, reported shock at seeing uh, blonde-haired uh, Indians or Native Americans, blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, so it's very possible that uh, they just parts of them were just integrated with the, the Indians. Powhatan might have killed a bunch of them, but um, since that was twenty, you know, twenty years after the disappearance of the colony, uh, it's 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 very likely that uh, that there was split ups in that and whatnot. And I don't know if I mentioned, but. Uh, according to the sources that uh, reported what Powhatan 
uh, told John Smith, uh, this massacre did not occur, you know, 10, 15 years before. Um, it occurred, according to Powhatan, just a couple years before, like maybe a year or two, meaning that at the same time Jamestown was being founded, in theory, there was, you know, 100 miles south, a relatively large group of English colonists still alive. Uh, whether we'll ever find that out uh, is completely unknown. I, I, I would say, you know, there'd be a lot of circumstantial evidence. Uh, but unless we find some real graves with um, evidence, um, you know, something like, and this is completely, you know, but trying to predict the future. If they found a grave there with um, a uh, body where, yeah. you know, forensic evidence was it was European, you know, died in about 1620, but with a lot of, you know, Native American goods, that could that, could, that would probably be the best. I was looking at this article about the excavation of Hatteras Island and some of the items that were uncovered there were a signet ring, part of a horse bridle, two 17th century coins and part of the firing mechanism for a gun. And it sounds to me like there was only one guy there. So maybe that's our, maybe that's our man. You know, he set up camp and he was a god. Lord Wilson, no! Well, that about wraps it up for another episode of the Barstool Historian Podcast. But before we go, I want to give you a reminder to rate us on iTunes. Give us a big, fat five-star review on iTunes, please. That really helps our listenership. You can also follow us on Twitter uh, at the BS Historian, appropriately enough, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash barstoolhistorian. And if you want to support us in a financial way, uh, you can wait about four or five years until I will put up uh, a page on Patreon, which I think has been invented already. Um, it is October 2015, of course. Uh, but in 2020, if you want to sponsor us, you can go to Patreon and search for the Barstool Historian Podcast. Now that's what you call Obamanomics. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, Ed. Yes! And finally, a quick public service announcement. It's October. It's time to go out and get your flu shots. We don't want a, a pandemic in this country. Uh, pandemic? That could never happen today. Yeah, that's for sure. This isn't 1918. No. What with our medical technology, our gene splicing, etc. Yes! Well, fellas, uh, thanks for joining me. I think, I think this show went pretty well today, don't you think? I have never felt so much love on one podcast <laughs> in my whole life. All right, from all of us... Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye.